Good morning. Holy cow, it's good to see your faces. I know there are smiles under there. I can see your faces. I can see your eyes. It's good to be with you. Free City Scattered. You folks at home or wherever you are, wherever you find yourselves, we're so glad you're here with us. This is interesting. This is odd. It feels familiar, but it feels different. We're all distanced and masked, and we got three-quarters of our church online. This is a new thing. My beard is probably all sorts of bad. You don't know how mask wearing is until you've had a beard, beard mask. It's a thing, mask beard. I'm feeling a little bit emotional, and I'm feeling usually, usually when that happens, it's the spirit moving. Sense the spirit moving in and among us, and whether we're at home online or in person. So I just want to do this. I want to ask you to be bold. And if you just feel like you need some prayer, no one's going to come to you, no one's going to lay hands on you, but we will. We want to just hold you in our hearts. So if you're online on Facebook Live, could you comment and say, I could use some prayer? And some of our Facebook friends and our Bruce City Scattered friends are just going to tell you and reply to you, we're holding you in prayer. And if you're here, Bruce City, could you just be so bold to raise your hand and just say, I just need some prayer? Dan, right? I'm sorry, I forget your name. Russ, if you need some prayer. And just look around, folks, and we're going to have, have a time of prayer together. Keep your hand up one more time. And we're just going to hold you in our hearts and our spirits. And so, Father, Son, and Spirit, now we come before you. And we just hold our brothers and sisters who raised their hands, or maybe some who didn't have, just couldn't bring themselves to raise their hands, or those who commented on Facebook. You say in the scriptures that the Spirit is interceding for us constantly, and even with groans that words cannot express. And so we hold you now. We hold you before the eternal, gracious, loving, all-powerful, self-giving God. In the midst of chaos in our world, we just present ourselves to you, Father, Son, and Spirit, to find wholeness and healing in your life. We breathe in your presence. We breathe in your life. We breathe in your hope. We breathe you in. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Abby, um, feel free to just raise your hand if at any point you feel Lord speaking. All right, I feel all sorts of messy this morning. I don't feel professional. I don't feel polished. I don't feel like I normally do, but that's kind of fun. Here we are. We're together. I'm looking at mass faces in a camera for the first time ever. We're diving into a new book of the Bible this morning. This morning, we, we've been at Ecclesiastes since February, and then we've done a few little fun things for hearing from the schmores about reconstruction, but here we are this morning. We're diving into a new book of the Bible, and when I love diving into the new book of the Bible because that means I just spent the last couple of months just diving into this book of the Bible, getting into it, diving in, turning it inside out, and looking at the people, trying to familiarize, almost feeling like I'm a member of this church in the late first century. When I start a book, I'm a book guy. I've been reading, I'm reading two books right now. One of them is like a thousand pages. It's almost too much for me. It's almost too daunting for me to keep going. The other is this book that just fills up my soul. But for me, opening lines and opening paragraphs of book really, really make a big difference. Do you know what I'm talking about? We've talked about this before when, it, when we talked in the book of Hebrews. Opening lines and opening paragraphs of books, to me, are the things that engage you and tell you this book is worth reading. You're going to like this. You're going to want to stick around. You're going to want to actually turn off the TV, put your screen down, and read this book. Now, the books of the Bible, when we think about opening lines of the book, books of the Bible, 66 of them, most of them, if we're honest, are not all that compelling. Just think about the way the books of the Bible begin. The first one, Genesis, that possibly is the best beginning of any book that's ever been written. Compelling, just huge in the beginning. God created, and it goes on and tells this epic story. That's a good beginning. But then as the books of the Bible go on, I would say the opening lines, the opening of these books get a little bit more dull. The book of Deuteronomy starts out something like saying, like, these are the words the Lord told to Moses. Okay. Not great, but we can do it. I'll keep reading, maybe. The book of Joshua says, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, died, the Lord spoke to Joshua. I would say, if you're a writer trying to, like, you have a mentor, you have a, you have a protege that you're trying to teach how to write, you don't start it out with, Moses died, and this is what God said. Then the very next book, that's Joshua, then the very next book, Judges, starts out the exact same way. When Joshua died, the Lord said, dot, 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 yada, 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 okay, it continues. It's just not very interesting. The New Testament comes along, and in the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, starts out with a genealogy. Genealogy of Jesus, just a bunch of names. Have you ever read the, the book of Matthew and been like, why am I reading all these names? It's this ancestry.com of Jesus. It, the, the, most of the Gospels aren't very spectacular the way they open. Then you go further in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he's re responsible for a lot of the New Testament. And it's pretty dry. The opening lines are pretty dry. He says, he names himself. This is the way, you, the, how, you, how you write a letter in the Greek, ancient Greek world is you name yourself, the Apostle Paul. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he addresses his readers, his audience, and then he gets after it. 
again, we're not reading these books of the Bible because of the opening lines are so stimulating and titillating. But there is this one author, and this brother knows how to write an opening line of a book he's writing. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? You're going to have to be loud if, to hear through your mask. One writer of the New Testament who knows how to write an opening line. I know somebody's going to get it. John. Did you say that, Nick? The Apostle John, friends. John, I believe, has a poet's heart. Paul is very utilitarian. I, I think Paul was probably an Enneagram 1, if you're into the Enneagram at all. I think John would probably had a good chance of being an Enneagram 4. He was a poet. He, the, the, the prologue of the Gospel of John, it's po- probably the most amazing theological piece of writing the world has ever known. 2,000 years later, we're still fascinated and captivated by John's prologue. And in the book that we're going to be studying for the next couple of months, the book of 1 John, John writes this epic four verses that begins this letter, this epistle. And it's this poetic, beautiful proclamation and picture that he paints with words about who Jesus is. See, John, the apostle John, has this uncompromising vision of who Jesus is. John has an uncompromising vision of who Jesus is for himself, and he has an uncompromising vision of what the church should have, the church's vision of Jesus, what that should look like. The apostle John, in his writings, in the gospel of John and in 1 John, he comes to us and it's as if he's saying, your Jesus is too small. Your Jesus is way too small. I want to paint you a picture of who Jesus is. And John says things like this. He says, Jesus is light. Jesus is light. And you get the feeling that when John says this, he, yes, he's speaking metaphorically, but you almost, you almost get the feeling when John says Jesus is light and the light came into the darkness, you almost get the feeling that John thinks, I think scientifically maybe even, this, this thing that we call electromagnetic radiation that is actual light is Jesus, is the life of Christ the stream of photons that moves in wave-like movements that we call light, maybe that stream of photons streams out of the very life of Christ himself. Jesus is light. We, when we, if someone asks us what and who is Jesus, no one would, none of us would say Jesus is light itself, himself. John says, sorry, I got the fan blowing in my microphone. You looked kind of like Celine Dion-esque, Shelly, when you were up here in the fan with the streaming blowing. blowing. You had the Celine Dion moment? Yeah. Jesus is light, John says. John says Jesus is life. John doesn't say in Jesus is life, because that's true, but he says Jesus is life himself. It is life. It's as if John says 
again, metaphorically, Jesus is life. That's great. But I think actually Jesus is life itself. That, that Jesus, all the life that has ever sprung to life in the cosmos, in all of history, and right now even, is life and is alive because it is alive in Christ. That life originated from Jesus and it is sustained by and held by Jesus himself. John has this huge picture of who Jesus is. He says Jesus is light, Jesus is life. And then Jesus calls John, or John calls Jesus the word of God. The word of God, the divine logos. See, Jesus wasn't just this great preacher who prophetically taught people. Jesus isn't just this, this dynamic preacher. Jesus is the very word of God. John would say, you can call the scriptures the word of God if you want, but just know, as long as you do that, you better know that it's not the actual word of God. That's only Jesus. Jesus is the living words and proclamation of who God is. Just look at him, and you'll know what the word of God is, what God sounds like. John has this epic huge vision of who Jesus is, and he's not content to let any of us maintain our tiny little Jesus. John is not content to let us maintain this idea of Jesus as a nationalistic Messiah. John is not content to let us sit with a Jesus that is for one people and not for another. He's not willing to let us do that. He's not willing to let us have this small, microscopic, profane picture of who Jesus is. John from the get-go is saying, before we go any further, we need to, to agree, you and I, on who and what Jesus was and is and will be. Are you ready to read this first opening lines of 1 John, this epic picture of who Jesus is? Before we do that, here's what you should do whenever you're like, yeah, let's read it, let's get into it. Let's just get into the world that John was speaking into a little bit. Let's, let's look at the context a little bit before we do that. Is that all right? It's 9, 1041. I got about 15 minutes. We can do this. The context of the world of 1 John, this is a good thing to do whenever you're reading a book of the Bible, whenever you're getting into studying it, is, is to ask the question, what was the circumstances? What's the context? What's the background? What are they thinking about? Was there divisions? Was there problems that are being addressed? These are good questions to ask. The, the book of 1 John, the, the letter, it was a circular letter, what biblical scholars call circular letter, that was written to a number of churches in Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey, in the Ephesus region. And it was written after John's gospel. So biblical scholars believe that John's gospel was the last gospel written, and they also believe that these epistles, these letters of John to the churches, were one of the last, some of the last epistles written. The, the letter of 1 John was most likely written in the first part of the last decade of the first century. Did you get that? The first part of the last decade of the first century. In other words, 1 John was likely written in the early 90s in what is now modern-day Turkey. And John wrote this to a group of churches that scholars call 
Johannan communities. Now that, if you can, if you can put Johannan communities into your theological pocket, you will impress some people. Johannan communities just is a basically a, a way of saying these were churches in this area that were influenced by and shaped by John. See, the church was then, the early church, was not much different than it is today. Different churches had different flavors and feels to them. Do you know what I'm talking about? So some, of, some early churches, some church communities in the early church were flavored by, by Paul. Some were, were influenced and saw Peter as an authority, and some, these ones, were Johann, and they had John's flavor and influence. If you read the books of the letters of Paul and Peter and John, you'll see that foundationally on the really important stuff, they all agree. But they're nuanced, and they, they, there's different flavors, and they bring a different focus on different things. Do you know what I'm talking about as you think about the books like Ephesians and Colossians as opposed to First and Second Peter or First John? They have different feels, different flavors, different focuses. So these Johannan communities probably were communities and churches that had a very high Christology. In other words, they, they had a very high and rich vision and picture of Jesus because that is who and what John was. So if you wanted a rich Christology, you would look at a Johannan community. Probably these Johannan communities that followed in, and were influenced by John also probably had a very high regard for agape love. That was probably their main ethic. Everything they did, how they interacted one, with one another, how they would address problems was probably seen through the lens of what does agape love teach us? What is the way of agape love? See, because we're going to find John can't stop talking, whether it's in his gospel or this letter, can't stop talking about agape love, the way of Jesus. And the reason that John is writing is not because everything's perfect and he's writing. There's a problem in these Johannan communities. In these, are you guys still with me? Am I boring you? Are, raise, give me a thumbs up, raise your hand. Are we okay? Yeah? Okay. Online? Facebook? Are you still with me? I'm going to take that as a yes. Um, so the problem in these Johannan communities in these churches what there, was there were what scholars believe are three main different kind of groups. The first group is the group that was kind of pre preaching to the choir. They had accepted and received apostolic teaching, received it and practiced it as it was. They were following in the way of Jesus. They were good, solid followers of Christ. But then there were two other groups of people. There were these Jewish followers of Jesus who they maintained their Judaism, and they, they, they respected and loved and followed the human Jesus, but they couldn't quite wrap their hands around and follow and believe this idea that Jesus was also divine. So they were operating with a partial truth that we like Jesus and his humanity, but we can't get down with this idea that Jesus is God himself. That doesn't work that way. And they were extremely focused to and committed on the law. Then this third group in the church, in the these Johannine communities, were Greek, pagan Greek background, Hellenistic is the word for it, and they most likely, what scholars say, they, they held to the divinity of Christ and saw Jesus and his divinity, that Jesus is God, that they could get down with very easily. The humanity of Jesus they couldn't do. We're going to find this is a problem. John has this singular vision of Jesus over and over again. He's going to hammer us with Jesus in his humanity. Jesus is in, in his divinity. The incarnation is everything for Jesus. And if you don't get that right, you don't get Jesus right. 
So you had some people who couldn't, couldn't deal with Jesus' humanity, some people who couldn't deal with Jesus' divinity, and John's going to bring it all together. And he's not, he doesn't hold back, we'll find. We've called this series Antichrist, simply Antichrist, because John's going to be talking about these different, what scholars call them, cessationists. Secessionists. They seceded from the church and they were trying to influence and allure the, the, the followers of Christ into this way of seeing Jesus as divine, not human, or human, not divine. And John doesn't parse his words. He calls, says they're walking with the spirit of the Antichrist. So we're going to think about the Antichrist. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to find out if Barack Obama's the Antichrist or Donald Trump really is the Antichrist. No, I haven't seen that in there either. But we're going to be talking about what the Antichrist is, what the spirit of the Antichrist is. It might surprise you. But see, before John goes into any of these problems that he's writing to these churches about, he doesn't begin with the problem. And that says so much. John doesn't just head right in and say, hey, I've heard about you guys and your heretical things that you're, that you're spouting off and you're trying to distract people from the true following of Jesus. Knock it off. He says, oh, before we go anywhere, we have to start at the right place. The church has some issues right now, don't we? Church is weird right now, and the church is saying some really weird things that disturb me sometimes. There's, there's parts of the church that are actually disturbing, and I'm embarrassed of. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? And if we would get a, an address from Jesus towards the church, I would like Jesus to take the gloves off and just let the church have it. That's what I would like. But see, John comes and he says, hold on. Before we talk about those divisions, before we talk about your immaturity, before we talk about, uh, about how you are just fighting with one another, before we talk about how you haven't really been this witness to the real risen Jesus the way you could, the, before we talk about the fact that you've, you've fed into the insanity and chaos in our world and the noise, before we talk about any of that, Can we just talk about who Jesus is? Before we talk about and speak to the problem in these churches, can we first just get right to the answer? And so this is what John does. And friends, I think in a church that in the 90s, 2,000 years ago, had issues. And today in a church that has issues today, I think we would do well to be with John and to start and finish with the man, Jesus. So now that we got the context a little bit, and we're, we're, we'll get into it more as the weeks come by, but let's, let's read the first four chapters of the book of 1 John. You can just look on your screens. We don't have any Bibles in the seats, so we don't have all the things happening. If you're online, the text will come up there. John says this, opening lines, first words. That which was from the beginning. Here's, John's going to get sensory now. So maybe you want to close your eyes. What, what's best for you to actually really 
let these words in. Close your eyes, read along, say them under your breath with me or out loud with me, whatever works for you. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, that which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. I'm going to read that first sentence again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John's coming to this church, these churches who are hearing all sorts of things about Jesus who are being addressed and, set, and, and, and having people come and say, I know who Jesus really was. Full divine, no, he wasn't a human being, that's crazy. Or on the other side, he, John, there are people speaking to this church saying, let me tell you about Jesus. And John comes in and he said, do you want to know about Jesus? See, actually, I don't have to theorize and wonder and study about Jesus. Jesus was my best friend. I actually touched him. This Jesus, the eternal word of life, John says, I could lean back. I, I had moments where I would lean back into his embrace. Do you know how every person, and some more in particular than others, have a, have a scent to them? Do you know what I'm talking about? Not always bad. It's a joke. Um, people have a scent to them. Like you, you're around certain people and there's a familiar scent, whether it's some cologne or some deodorant or just the, 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 their hair product. I, 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 you know what I'm talking about? John... John is saying, I, couldn't, I can just imagine what Jesus smelled like. I remember it. See, I walked with Jesus. Have you ever walked several miles or like maybe even backpacked five to ten miles with somebody? Have you done that? Do you know how, do, 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 you, do you remember how intimate you feel with that person where you've got nothing but time and you're just walking and you really get into life with that person? Do you know what I'm talking about? Jesus said, you have no idea how many 15-mile journeys I went on with Jesus. I knew what foods Jesus liked and what he didn't like. I knew what his sense of humor was like. I knew what would make him well up and come to tears. That which we have heard which we have seen, which we have looked upon, which we have gazed upon, that which we have touched. See, 
John is saying Jesus has come and made God a sensory experience. Jesus, in the incarnation, John is saying, has revealed, has made the unknowable God known. This eternal one who was in the beginning, who, who, who life came from his literal words. John said, this unknowable God has now made, made himself known in Jesus. The unknowable God wants to be known. And the way God chose to reveal himself, the way the divine chose to reveal the divine is through the person of Jesus. So if you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus and you get a picture of it. That's the way God chose. God could have chosen to reveal himself in any way. He's God. And he said, this is the way I've chosen to reveal myself. It's Jesus. So if you want to know how God would respond to a global pandemic, Look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would respond to wearing a mask or not, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would respond to a civil rights movement and in crisis in some ways, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would interact with humanity, with people who disagree with him, look at Jesus. Just don't stop looking at Jesus. If you're confused about how to, how to live in this world, look at at Jesus, that which we heard, which we have seen, which we looked at, that which we have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, John says. And did you, so God, Jesus turns God into a sensory experience, John says, and then did you see what he said about life, about eternal life? Eternal life, eternal life is kind of a that's a common phrase we Christians like to throw around. Eternal life is something that we hear about in the church all the time. And eternal life has gotten to be, I would say, an unbiblical principle and idea. It's, eternal life is this phrase or idea that it's the carrot that we dangle in front of non-believers to join our team and join our club. Sign on the dotted line, believe and behave in, Je believe in Jesus, behave and you get eternal life. Boom. Done. Wham, bam. Thank you, man. Now I can move on because I've got eternal life. Did you see how John talked about it? Let's read 1 John 1 verse 2. He says this about Jesus. He said, the life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. The life appeared. He's talking about Jesus. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which is with the Father and has prepared, is it has appeared to us. When we talk about eternal life, Christians for decades and centuries, millennia even, have been wondering, what is eternal life going to look like? Have you ever had that thought? How many times have you had that thought? What is eternity going to be like? That's almost too mind-blowing to think about. But what is eternal life? What is heaven? What is the resurrection going to look like? What is it going to be like? I get these have gotten these questions regularly as a pastor. I've got a friend who's just lost his mom, and he's like, will I know my mom? Will I... Will I get to see my mom again? Read 1 Thessalonians. It tells us, yeah, we probably will. But we always have these questions. What is heaven going to be like? What is the eternal life going to look like? Will it be like, well, are we going to be floating around on clouds playing harps? Or being 
serenaded by angels and harps? Will it be like Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory? And there's just fudge and caramel and marshmallows oozing everywhere and it's going to be delightful or hellish for some of us who don't have a sweet tooth. What's heaven going to be like? What's eternal life going to be like? John says, I want to tell you, I know what eternal life is like. See, because for John, eternal life wasn't a state of mind. It wasn't a future reality. Eternal life for John wasn't a booby prize, a, a, a means to an end. Eternal life for John was a person. John calls Jesus, Jesus himself is eternal life. How have we not seen this, friends, and, and noted it and shaped our view of eternal life around it? John says, eternal life isn't a state, it's not a future reality. Eternal life is a person. Do you want to know what eternal life looks like? Look at Jesus. Jesus is actually what eternal life looks like. The life of Christ is what eternal life looks like. Do you want to know what this rich, abundant life that he talked about, this rich, abundant, eternal life is that he talked about? Look at Jesus. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder what eternal life is going to be. You can just look at Jesus. Do you want to live in that rich, abundant, eternal life in the here and now? Just dive into Jesus. Live in Christ. Live like Christ, and you will be living eternal life in the present moment. This Christian living is way simpler than we think it is. John said it's just keep drilling down into Jesus. Don't ever stop, and you'll become more and more like it. You'll embody and live out this eternal life. You'll be a walking evangelist to what life looks like if you just live your life in Christ because Jesus is eternal life. John's got this big picture of Jesus, friends, these first words. And then lastly, he, if, if this sounds weird, eternal life is Jesus, he doubles down on it. And he says in verses 3 and 4, he goes on and he talks about fellowship. And he said, we say this so that we can, you can have fellowship with us. And, so that, and just so you know, our fellowship, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. We have fellowship with, with the Godhead himself. We, John is saying, John's got this divinely inspired picture of God in our, God and humanity, our relationship, that Jesus is actually in his, in his divinity and in his humanity brought humanity and divinity together, and now we have fellowship with God, with the divine. We now, in fellowship, this is this word. There were many words in the early church that the church fathers would take and they would kind of expand on it and make it their own because it wasn't rich enough. Fellowship or koinonia was one of those words. Koinonia in the Greek, fellowship, wasn't just this idea of hanging out and having dinner together. That was part of it, but it also connoted this, this rich and deep partnership. It spoke to this fellowship in, in enjoying one another, but also a partnership, a collaboration so John's saying, you and I, because of Jesus in Christ, are part of this divine partnership and collaboration that the Father, Son, and Spirit share amongst themselves. We've been invited and included into it, actually. 
God is partnering with and collaborating with you in Christ. So that means that God is collaborating and partnering with you in parenting your kids. God is collaborating with you and partnering with you in caring for your aging parents. God is collaborating and partnering with you, fellowshipping with you when, it, when you're fellowshipping with your neighbors and, and loving your neighbors. God is partnering and collaborating with you in your workplace, in your schools, in your, in your dorm rooms, in your apartments. There's this divine collaboration and partnership and re- relationship happening. You're part of it. This is your reality. Just awaken to it. Just come alive to it. Just, just realize it in the moments of your day. John's got this big, beautiful, rich vision of Jesus. And now some of us might be thinking, I know, but can you just tell John 2020 has been a friggin' doozy of a year? 2020 has been bananas. John didn't know about 2020. Friends, The Apostle John was not writing these words and having this beautiful, rich, humongous vision of Jesus in a vacuum. The Apostle John was writing these words and had this rich, beautiful, hopeful, abundant picture of Jesus in the ancient Near East, in the ancient world in the 90s, where I would still, even in 2020, COVID, global pandemic, if I had to choose, you can live and raise your family in the early 90s or in 2020, I choose 2020. Most, half of my kids probably wouldn't even be alive. That'd just be normal. I'd be an old man by now. Global pandemics were just total run-of-the-mill normal in John's day. John was not writing in a vacuum. There were problems in this church and for this people. They were acquainted with health scares, pandemics, and crises. And they were acquainted with separations and divisions and tribalism. That was just normal. So we come to John and we say, John, I'm feeling anxious. This world has gotten me, do, do you feel anxious more than you used to? And John would say, okay. That which we heard, that which we saw, which we looked upon, that which we tr- touched, root yourself in Jesus. You say, John, 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 man, everybody's fighting. It feels in 2020 like there's just, there's just this huge division that's just hovering over our culture in the atmosphere. It's overwhelming. I can't deal with it. And John would say, okay, I get it. I get it. That which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have looked upon, that which we have touched, root yourself in Jesus. John, John, oh man, I have been struggling with depression like you have no idea. I've been struggling with feeling like just terrified by what might happen, what's going to happen next, what shoe's going to drop. I don't know what to do with myself sometimes. John would say that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched, root yourself 
in Jesus. See, I've shared with you guys sometimes that I've struggled with this weekly sermon thing. As a guy who loves preaching, loves writing sermons, loves studying, loves doing it, sometimes I question whether I should or not. Whether this is worthwhile, whether it's worth my time. And in these last few months, I've been convinced all over again, yes, this is worth it. Yes, this is a good practice to do, to root ourselves in the Scriptures over and over again. Friends, how many times a day are you overwhelmed with all the opinions out there? How many times a day are you just filled with frustration about people who think opinions are facts? How many times a day have you had that imaginary argument with your Facebook friend or with that family member? Have you done, or is that just me? How many times a day have you just felt like this thing is spinning out of control and I don't know what's going to happen next? Have you had those feelings? John tells us the answer to all of that frustration, to that feeling of spinning out of control, is just to refocus our gaze on Jesus. Is that good enough for you, friends? Can we actually, wherever we are, if you're in your living room, if you're in your bedroom, you're having breakfast in bed, or you're here in this 118-year-old church building, just open up your hands. And I want you to, like, feel all the things, all the articles that you've seen. All the arguments you've witnessed and wanted to dive into or have dove into. All the rants, masks or no masks, vaccine or no vaccine. Trump or Biden, I want you to just think of it all. And now I want you to just look up at Jesus. Which Jesus are you looking at? Are you looking at Jesus on the cross? Are you looking at the resurrected Jesus in the garden that Mary encountered? Are you looking at the Jesus who laid his hands on lepers? Are you looking at the Jesus as he's speaking and teaching about the kingdom? Are you looking at the Jesus who is right now here in our midst? Holy Spirit, would you get us into the habit of refocusing on this beautiful human and divine life that is the Christ? Would you forgive us for forgetting this vision of Jesus over and over and over again? 
Would you refresh us with this vision of Jesus over and over and over again? Would you fill us with hope because of this vision of Jesus over and over and over again? Would you forgive us for being distracted? Would you forgive us for being sucked into arguments? Would you forgive us for giving into the chaos? Would you forgive us for contributing to the noise? Would you forgive us and would you renew us and would you cleanse us with your own life, Jesus? Come, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. Come and reveal yourself to us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.